scientists play a huge part in our everyday lives. Climate change, helping to solve the world's energy problems, improving our health, and as we've experienced throughout the pandemic, saving lives by responding with fast-tracked global vaccines. There are so many other ways we're positively affected by new discoveries. But how are scientists turning breakthroughs into world-changing businesses? It's one thing making a discovery in a lab, but taking that idea and starting and scaling up into a successful business is just as challenging. From encouraging young people into science in the first place to avoiding startup pitfalls and onto growing a business, even becoming a worldwide leader. In this series, we're going to hear from those who've built a successful science business as they share some of their secrets with us. I'm Hannah Previtt, a business journalist with The Times, and welcome to The Science of Business. The scientists of tomorrow are with us right now. Any one of today's children, maybe even your own son or daughter, could go on to become a leading scientific expert, perhaps even running their own business and changing all our lives for the better. In this episode, we're going to meet someone who knows more than most about this hidden potential and how to encourage children and young people to take an interest in STEM subjects. That person is Tom Doust, co-director of Experience and Learning at the Institute of Imagination based in London. Lovely to meet you, Tom. Hi, Hannah. Really pleased to be here. So can you tell me a little bit more about yourself, first of all? Sure. I've always been passionate about education and learning and creating the right environments for for those learning experiences that allow children and young people to learn differently, to explore their own learning through their own kind of agency and their own empowerment. And I've also been really fascinated by the tools that we use from scrap and cardboard right through to the new technologies that we have at the touch of our fingertips, like augmented reality and virtual reality. And I feel like bringing these two opportunities together allows children and young people to really engage in the power of creativity. And that's what I've been really passionate about throughout my career and what I'm doing now at the Institute of Imagination. So tell us a bit more about the Institute of Imagination. So where does it have its roots? How does it operate? And what's really the kind of core message and mission? We believe imagination is a superpower, a superpower particularly for the 21st century. What other human faculty separates us from any other species on this planet? Imagination allows us to visit the past, to step outside of our current context and look at the world differently and also to time travel into the future. So we believe that this human faculty really empowers us to think differently and learn differently. And when you think about imagination and science, you look no further than one of our most famous scientists, Einstein, who talked about logic getting you from A to Z, but imagination getting you everywhere. So our focus is on children and young people, particularly those who are aged 5 to 11. And why that age group? Well, we're seeing that children today are setting their aspirations as young as seven or having their aspirations set for them. So we plough a lot of energy and learning and education into early years from naught to five. And then they go through the education system and we expect children and young people to come out of that education system polished and ready for work. But actually, there's quite a lot that goes on in that period from five to 11 and, and in secondary school as well, where we feel that there needs to be a continual understanding of the world changing and being able to be adapted to that and being able to use your kind of creative thinking and your imagination. And we design and deliver really creative and immersive learning experiences that broadly speaking work across the arts, the sciences and digital technologies, but really enhance the idea of 
interdisciplinary working? How do these disciplines come together? How can they crisscross as they do in the real world? And therefore, how, when you graduate from school, how can you be a bit more ready and future ready uh, for the world of work? Through our programmes and through our experiences, children really need to develop a core set of competencies and skills. So obviously we do really well at numeracy and literacy in school. This is a focus particularly here in the UK. But what are the softer traditional skills that we can get children to engage with through our programmes? So everyone journeying through our work will perhaps go through a process of having an original thought, being able to think originally. And that's all about creativity. They'll think about ways in which they can be resilient to change and how they can unpick challenges. That's all about problem solving. They'll think about their aspiration. They'll use their imagination to project themselves into the future. That's all about social mobility. And they'll think about things like curiosity as well. So that's all about critical thinking, being able to ask questions to challenge and not necessarily recognise that something is right, but to sort of unpick it. So before we go any further, Tom, I did have the privilege recently of finding out for myself just how you're helping to encourage young minds to become the scientists of tomorrow when I popped along to one of the schools that you work with. They say every day is a school day, and today quite literally is. So here we are at St Luke's Primary School in Canning Town, East London, and we're about to meet some of the staff and pupils who are involved in the very exciting world of learning science. But, as we've already heard, it's being done quite differently here. So what's it like being taught this way? And what's it like for the teaching staff seeing their children develop? Let's find out. Hello, St Luke's. Hello, Hannah. Hello, my name is Marcy. Abigail. Ella. My name is Arius. Hello, my name is Amin. Natalie. Shizaran. Alamine. Hello, my name is Annabelle. My name is Tiami. Mia. Hello, my name is Hannah. Can you start by telling me what it is you like about science? We're able to discover, observe and find out more things about the world. I like about science that we can do different experiments, such as making different toys. What kind of toys do you make? We made a toy that you have to try and go round the whole wire without touching it and if it touches, it either buzzes or turns the light on. I love science because I get to experience stuff I haven't experienced before. to experiment and I get to see what how things work. And like most of these things, most of these things about science that we're learning now can like help us in the future. When I'm doing science, I get to grow my mindset into thinking I want to be a scientist. So tell me about the Institute of Imagination and how that differs from what you do in your ordinary science lessons. In the Institute of Imagination, they like you to reach your highest point. It's all about working together, different beliefs and how to work as high as you can. I like Lego we do from the Institute of Imagination because you can be your own teacher and you can control your Lego robot from the computer and it can do whatever you want. You can express your feelings and how you like to do it and you just don't sit there and copy from a book. You can be creative. You could question anything. Like Most things had multiple answers. But with the Institute of Imagination, it gave me the resources to try out the questions and see the answers. 
I'm Sheldon O'Garro. Um, I teach year five at St. Luke's. My name is Candy Koenig and I am the maths and computing lead and at the moment I'm teaching year three. They do think about it and then they do think, oh, how am I going to apply my maths in this section and how do I link those two together? So those cross-curricular chances that we give them, how do I think about, okay, creating an advert, not just an advert, but how do I bring my computing skills into the, how do I bring my art skills, my DT skills, planning for my writing as well? Yeah, and just knowing I can explore and if it goes wrong, I can try again. That perseverance, curiosity, it's kind of a thing where whatever I come up with at the end, it's okay, rather than them thinking, oh, mine has to look a specific way. They know that what they've created is great and it's met the objective and they know, oh, like, I can do it. Are you able to share any specific anecdotes where you've seen a child light up around this stuff? There is a particular child who's in your class now that I had last year. He's a small YouTuber himself. And when we started doing the lockdown with our IOI, he just immediately sprang to life. He was like, oh, this is my world. Because in his head, what he loves doing is playing games. And somehow he saw some of these characters that were being built. And then he was thinking, okay, I've created my character at home that I used to play. And then I used those characters to record my video and then put it on YouTube. Yeah, it was very, very nice to see the sudden change in him, that spark. Tell me a little bit about the Lego project, what that is and how it works. We have been using Lego Redo for a few years now and I think the children are getting better at it. And what we've been using them mainly for hooks to help them with your learning. So, for example, yesterday my class is going to be working on earthquakes and volcanoes. So we talked about having a problem and we're going to pretend to be engineers and we're going to try and build a robust structure. What are some of the things that we should be thinking about as engineers? Some of them build a bit taller structures, some of them build shorter ones. We created a simulation where the motor of the Willoka Redo shakes and then some of the buildings fell down. So they're like, okay, what went wrong? What did not go so well? What could we improve on? Just that evaluation bit. And it's something small that they do as part of their lessons, but it is going to really help them understand and link real life activities. And um, what would you like to do when you grow up? I either want to be a chemist or a doctor. I would like to continue science when I'm in high school and college because I can get to do different science experiments and I'll be better at science. I would like to be an engineer. What kind of engineer? Construction for a navy, the army. Very cool. And what do you think you might like to do with science in the future? Will you carry on studying it? Yeah, I want to become an astronaut when I'm older because I can live in space with zero gravity. I like the creativity that we can put into science and how we can create our own things. And with science, we can make things that will help the world and make it a better place. So you could hear there the hopes and future dreams from some of the pupils and also what the teachers think at St Luke's Primary School in Canning Town, East London. And they were also talking about how the Institute of Imagination is helping them in so many ways. Here to tell us more, of course, is Tom Doust from the Institute of Imagination. So, Tom, without getting too controversial, where do you think there might be some gaps in the current curriculum and how are you helping to fill those gaps? 
I think it's important that we show children and young people a reflection of what's going on in the world around them, that they're engaged in topics and subjects that are real, that are tangible, that they can relate to. So we look at some of the biggest challenges today, whether it be environmental, sustainability, or you know, the pandemic has had a huge impact on lives and society. We know that we need to engage children in these topics because they won't be dealing with them necessarily just when they're older, but they'll be dealing with them today. You know, they need to become agents and change makers in that process. For instance, if you look at our schools program, we usually have a, a kind of theme that really embeds into that program so that children can engage in topics and subjects that are the reflective of the world around us. Our current theme is called Save, Make, Reinvent. And that really does what it says on the tin. But if you look underneath it, it's all about something called the circular economy, which is quite a complex topic. It's about how we can create an economy where we're not producing lots of stuff, but where we're using the stuff in our economy to kind of invent and limit the use of our resources or new natural resources. Breaking that down as a topic into something really tangible that children at St. Luke's and other schools can engage with is a topic and a way in which we can do that. The other area that we think is important is this kind of idea that you can't fail in school. So obviously we're tested probably more than many of most countries in the world in the UK. And testing is important. Obviously you need to measure where you are and how you're progressing. But testing also can take away from your learning if you just become too focused on testing. And also it can take away from that idea that actually you're learning through your mistakes. And, you know, our open-ended learning programs isn't about finding the answer. It's about finding many answers and then, you know, unpicking those problems and finding a solution through unpicking those problems. And that's what we really try and engender through our kind of curriculum, if you like. I'd just been to hear James Dyson speak and he was saying exactly that, that perhaps now we should be marking students on their failures, if you like, rather than just expecting things to go right all of the time. Absolutely. This isn't just us saying this as an international charity. There are major institutions talking about the power of problem solving. So we've just had Davos, the World Economic Forum, come together. And there was lots, obviously, about the challenges that we're facing in the world today, the war in Ukraine, the climate change sort of crisis. But buried in there was education. And they came out with this astonishing fact, actually. They said that improving students' capacity for problem solving could add an additional 2.54 trillion to the global economy. So really, imagination and play really needs to be at the heart of all our learning in global education systems. It's crucial for our economy as we grow out of the pandemic. I was staggered to read recently that well over 65% of children now entering primary school, my daughter is one of them, they'll go into professions that haven't even been created yet. So how do you prepare students and young people for lives and careers that we don't even know about yet? Yeah, and this comes back to the curriculum again. So we follow a curriculum quite traditional, particularly in this country, that perhaps looks at the present and the past rather than looking at the future. So our curriculum is very much about looking to the future. And alongside those key skills and competencies like creativity and problem solving, collaboration being another really important one, we want to give children and young people a sense of agency around inventiveness and entrepreneurial thinking. So in the activities that they're engaged with, and I think we heard this in the St. Luke's interview that you did, children are not only kind of creating these skills, they're also starting to have ideas, they're starting to think about ways in which they can use tools. I think that's really interesting. So if you look at these new industries, they're all out there to be 
taken and grown and invented. There are so many fantastic new technological tools, but they won't grow into multi-million, billion pound industries unless we have the creative minds to imagine what they could be. The Institute of Imagination is there to really try and give that kind of power to children to think, I can invent my job of the future. There may not be a job in the future for me, so how do I invent that for myself? As I just mentioned there, I do have a five-year-old. Her name is Rose, and she is obsessed with everything from Operation Ouch. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but also science kits. She got some for Christmas, absolutely loves it. I would love to hear so that I can share with her some of the projects specifically that you've been up to and some of the schools that you work with. I think one of the big benefits of, of, of the organization we're in and how we can work is that we develop partnerships. And one of those big partners is with Lego. So we're really lucky to be working with the Lego group and the Lego foundation as well. So every piece of Lego kit you buy, 25% of that purchase goes to something called the Lego foundation, who believe in the power of play in the power of learning through play. And so we've been doing some fantastic work with Lego, not only through that kind of concept of how best you learn through play, but also using some of their really exciting tools like their robotics kits. So we run a program called Recode, which give Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2 children the opportunity to unpick real world problems. We've been focusing largely in London on this program, looking at things like air pollution, real world issues or cleaning the River Thames. But using these robotic kits to think about the challenge and then design, engineer and find a solution to how we could fix that problem in the future. We've also worked with a great organization called the Microbit Education Foundation, and they created something called the Microbit Computer, a tiny half the size of a credit card, which allows children to program and code onto it. It's packed full of LEDs, sensors. It's got an accelerometer on it. It's a kind of starting point for your invention. You can really invent with it coupled with that then you have this technology that can bring it alive so with microbe education foundation we've been working with teachers to bring it into the curriculum and to think about ways in which teachers can integrate it across curricula and again at st luke's we've heard some really good examples of how teachers have taken some of our projects and thought how can i integrate this into not only science but also the arts or perhaps into another subject area and I think that's really key for education as we move forward. How does it work in terms of the Institute of Imagination's people, your tutors, your professionals going in and working alongside the teachers in the schools? Obviously, through the pandemic, many more schools, children, teachers became much more adept with the use of technology as an enabler for communication and connectivity. And what we've seen is pre-pandemic, we were definitely kind of coming into schools applying ourselves in, in classes through workshops, um, using our facilitation team to do that. But actually post-pandemic, we're seeing that we're having greater impact by broadcasting live into schools. So our schools programme, which we've launched post-pandemic, we've just gone through a, a pilot of, it's been really successful, doesn't actually involve us stepping inside the school at all. It involves us empowering the teachers through professional development. It involves us sending some tools and equipment, including some of those Lego kits, or it might be other basic things that we can send them in an imagination toolbox. So they've got that for their class. It involves a key moment, which we call a kind of live broadcast around the topic where we broadcast into the class for up to 90 minutes. And we talk and experiment through the topic and the subject. So activities range from stop motion animation to storytell about junk and bring it back to life, to using food scraps and everyday natural materials to create a natural ink that you can use for art classes. 
right through to thinking about junk and how you can turn that into robotics. This can all be done by empowering the teacher, by broadcasting live into the classroom and also linking up classrooms. So for instance, as you've seen, we've been working in Newham and we can work with up to 30 classes in one broadcast. And that brings a community together. And in those kind of show and tell moments, children are really proud to be able to share their constructs, their makes with, with other classes in the borough. We've got a lot of demand across London. You know, we're a charity focused on children who are disadvantaged or from areas of lower socioeconomic indices. So we focus on core boroughs like Lambeth and Newham. But we've had approaches from all parts of the world, uh, including the Bahamas. So in the autumn, for instance, we'll be broadcasting in the Bahamas. Interesting enough, it, it feels like it's a, a rich country. And so those schools that are fee paying do pay for this. That kind of fee paying can help us support the schools that can't afford to do this. So we'll be working with both schools that are fee paying and non-fee paying in the Bahamas. But the work there will support the work we're doing back here in Newham and Lambeth in London, for instance. And on the subject of fee paying, one of the topics we haven't yet discussed is accessibility. How do we take that to a broader audience and make sure that it's not just something for kids in private schools, for example? Yeah, and this is so important for us. This is right at the heart of our mission. This is what I get out of bed of in the morning to come to work for, to work with those who don't have those experiences. And so we're a UK registered charity to focus on those who are considered to be at a disadvantage. And the way that we make that work is that we obviously fundraise, we receive fantastic sponsorship. As I said before, there is a model out there to find ways in which we can encourage people, some schools, to, to pay fees to enable that, to unlock that for children who don't have access to those experiences. So the way that we've set up our schools programme is that all schools make some sort of contribution, but for those state schools on high free school meals, it's a contribution. It's subsidised by the fundraising that we can achieve, by the sponsorship we can achieve, and from those fee-paying schools that are taking part in our programmes. And the other topic I wanted to discuss with you just briefly is about girls in STEM. What are you doing around that? Dispelling that notion that science is for boys. That's right. You know, proactively, we try and place some of our facilitators and our team in positions where they're presenting and working directly with children and young people. And they're talking about themselves. They're talking about their own experiences and, and who they are and what they do. And we've got a really fantastic facilitation team who come from a range of different disciplines, whether it be engineering, science, arts. And we encourage them to talk to girls about what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. That's part of what we call science capital, trying to raise that aspiration, perhaps in the home, perhaps in the school, for children to understand how they can place themselves or see themselves as being a scientist in the future. This series is all about science startups, about science growth. And we've talked about encouraging young people and children into science here but what about helping them to develop business acumen, if you like? Yeah, I think that comes back to this kind of notion that your job of the future will be partly something you've designed and thought of. You're going to have to have more of a part to play in that. You won't just land the job. You won't just go into a discipline that perhaps is ready made for you. For some disciplines, I think that will still be the same in 2030, 2035, when children in primary school are coming into the workplace. But I think there's that notion of how you can engender that sense of entrepreneurial spirit, and I think through the programs that we design and, and looking at the types of tools that we use, these tools are, are designed for invention. These tools are designed for thinking about how you can come up with an idea and actually rapidly prototype it and demonstrate it. 
the, on these campuses are really incredible, fantastic future-facing industries. And I think the longer-term aspiration for us in this partnership is to really link up those amazing, brilliant young minds with what's happening in the real world of industry and getting them to project themselves into that future, particularly those from disadvantaged backgrounds. So it really is about that kind of collaborative thinking between charities such as yours, with private sector organisations, with the likes of ARC, with you all coming together to kind of build a better future for these children and young people. That's in our mission. We really want children to think about ways in which they can have a positive impact on their world through their futures. And can you give us real tangible examples of where you've seen a real change in a child or you know something remarkable that's happened within one of your projects? We look at things like ethnography research, where we can understand a child's background and a journey that they've been through. But we also look at quite quantitative elements as well of, of capture of evidence. So, for instance, when we're asking about things like imagination, we'll benchmark a question at the beginning of their experience and then ask them exactly the same question at the end of experience and see if there's been a change. So, for instance, we ask children if they use their imagination while learning. And in the pilot of our schools programme, we found that there was a 10% increase than those saying they use their imagination learning all of the time and a 20% increase in those saying they use it lots of the time. So these are small, but they're important and significant increases. We also think about well-being. We talked about aspiration earlier. Well-being is a key indicator. And we asked uh, students about whether they can project themselves into a positive future. And we saw an 8% increase in lots of the time and a 15% increase in some of the time. So these are kind of some of the indicators that emerge. But for me, really, yeah, it's about those stories. And I think you started to pick up on some of those stories at St. Luke's. There really are some fantastic stories, so many that we can't actually capture them all. I think the key thing that comes out for us is that people feel really empowered. People feel like they've been given an option to open up a doorway to invention and creativity and they don't feel pressured into sort of coming up with a solution or an answer and that feels radically different from the education that we're providing our children today. In this series we do like to get some kind of practical tips and advice from people like yourself. What would you say to anyone listening right now who wants to encourage their children like I do to look at science both as an occupation and possibly you know an area in which they might like to start a business in the future? I think the key one, the one that sits at the heart of it all is experimentation. Giving your child the opportunity to experiment. They don't really get a huge opportunity to experiment in school. And in science, experimentation has been narrowed in the curriculum. But at home, create a a space for experimentation. Create a mini lab where your child can sit down with a number of activities or tools. It might be a science kit. It could be just basic junk and waste materials and let them open-endedly play and learn through that playing experience really give them the time and sometimes that's hard as a parent I know I've, I've been there creativity is messy so just try and find that space that corner of the space in your home to really allow your child to just be open-ended and experimental and just quickly how early should that start within obviously safe boundaries 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's hugely important that the brain development that's happening from naught to two, from two to five, giving them those kind of scaffolding, those building blocks, allowing them to experiment um, with everyday tools is great. Just allowing them to explore and understand just will allow that brain development to happen at such a great age. I will certainly be taking that advice on board. Thank you so much for joining us today. That is Tom Dows from the Institute of Imagination. Thank you, Hannah. A real pleasure. In our next episode... We're developing a propulsion system for electric vertical takeoff and landing drones. We're hoping to finish our first prototype propulsor by the end of 2023. And then as we scale up, we hope to be providing propulsion systems and possibly drone aircraft by the end of 2025. That was Holt Wong, co-founder and chief operating officer at QDOT, based on the Harwell Science Campus in Oxfordshire, England. We're going to be finding out how to get it right when spinning out from a university, something QDOT has done successfully, and we'll be sharing advice on making it work for you. That's in the next part of The Science of Business. I'm Hannah Previtt, a business journalist with The Times. This podcast has been brought to you by ARC, the smarter partner for science, and is a Fresh Air production. Follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.